Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, let's make a start if we can. Uh, my name is John Bearden. Uh, I lead uh, the church in Deerham. And uh, I probably don't really need to introduce Michael Richard to you because we've already been introduced uh, to them at the conference. Just to let you know what we're going to do, um, we, we basically do Q&A, so we're looking for you guys to supply questions. Now, you were all told to text your, mess, your questions ahead of coming, weren't you? James <laughs> held to me that you scored very badly in this department, but it doesn't matter, that's okay. So, um, we're obviously looking for questions to come uh, from you guys. I'll have to kind of chair uh, fielding those, those through. Let, let's just pray together, and then we'll, we'll get started. Lord... Thank you for your beautiful presence with us uh, at this conference. Thank you for the wisdom that we find in your word. And we pray, Lord, as we spend this time taking counsel together this afternoon, that we'll catch something more of your heart, we'll learn some things that will do us good. Lord, we pray for godly wisdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down. Um, okay, uh, the, the first question, I, because I'm the chair, I'm going to take full advantage of the situation and ask the first two questions. The first question that I want to ask, I'm going to direct to Richard. Uh, many of us were aware um, fairly early on of the uh, exciting things that were, began to happen in Cumbran. And then, I don't know exactly when, but maybe nine months ago, 12 months ago, uh, there was a change uh, in your strategy, and we've not heard nearly so much. So I wonder if you could just tell us uh, a bit of the story of what's been going on in this sort of second phase. Perhaps that's the wrong terminology. Well, with any revival, whether it's be past or even present, they never last forever. Um, we were aware of that, but at the time when it, it was going on, we thought it was going to last forever. Uh, we never saw an end expiry date to it but history will tell you every revival that's ever been always had an expiry date and it's what happened afterwards is the byproduct and for us it was um, it was in uh, I think it might have been the September the April the revival broke out so April, May, June, like August, September so six months towards the uh, the first part of the, the, the last six of that six months I think in the September beginning of September um, while the meeting was still strong, numbers were still good, they were still going every night, so there was no physical indications that things were, were waning. They were, you know, so it was still amazing. Um, but I sensed something in my spirit, I sensed a shift in my spirit that um, it wasn't the same. Something had changed. To quantify in words is very difficult, but you just know spiritually there was a shift at the start it was God did something to us then it shifted to God doing something through us which brought in you know uh, hundred whatever thousand people into our church for us to minister that way and then it was as if God had done what he needed to do and I sensed that in my heart and even though the externally things were still amazing people were still turning up flying in from around the world all that stuff it wasn't the same the presence wasn't the same the the atmosphere wasn't the same. I felt it. I spoke to Andy, uh, who was my executive pastor, and he felt it. And uh, we both kind of spoke to the rest of our team, and they all felt it, but no one wanted to admit it. Because, you know, we didn't want to say, God is not doing it. So it was kind of like, yeah. And when we you know, got rid of that elephant and sorted that out, we all agreed it's not the same. So then we had to come up with a strategy of somehow 
and handling the expectation of hundreds and thousands of people <coughs> that were booking hotels, that were planning their holidays, uh, planning their futures, you know, and all that stuff. And, and not just that, imagine the amount of sick people, uh, seriously sick people, that were planning to come to the church. How do you then... It, it was just massive. We had that to handle, so there was that side. You had your critics who... Would were for the whole of the outpouring just just totally dissed it anyway, and, and they would be rubbing their hands with glee. So we're going to give them an opportunity now because we know we're going to say it's not happening anymore. And they'll say, "I told you so." So we had that element, and it, so in the midst of all of it, and we had to pastor the church through it as well, and keep the church as well, which was a challenge. So we sat down, we got some counsel. I spoke to a number of people who friends of mine, personal friends, who have been involved in revival in different circles um, um, in the States and other parts of the world. I won't they remain name, nameless, it's not to mention their names, but they've been involved in revivals. And I contact them, spoke with them, asked for advice. <coughs> uh, the Elin Pentecostal Churches, which I'm part of, uh, I sought the General Superintendent's advice there as well. And there was all different bits of advice. Some said, you know, uh, don't go every night, go two nights, three nights. Some were saying, bring pastors in from around to help you. And it, I think, well, it's not bringing pastors in. That's, gonna, we, that's not what, you know, so people didn't quite get it. Mm. So we just sat down as a team and said, right, what do we do? So we went to two nights. We said, look, we, we, we can't keep doing this. Let's just do a Wednesday and a Saturday. We had a big celebration in St. David's Hall in Cardiff. Uh, it's about two and a half thousand. It was kind of like a culmination of what had happened and us thanking God for the outpouring um, and we just went down to a, a Wednesday night um, and a Saturday the Saturday numbers dropped and then we just went to a Wednesday night and then we were just left with this Wednesday night encounter meeting which we had before the outpouring um, and so it, we were left with that and so I have to say this on a personal level I don't know much time we've got but on a personal level um, <coughs> If revival comes to your church, it will mess you up. I'm not talking about your programs. I'm not talking about um, your schedules or your agenda. I'm talking about you personally. Mm -hmm. Because once you've been burnt by fire, smoke will never satisfy. Mm -hmm. and, and ever since I've, I've experienced what I've experienced, I get quite emotional about this, um, I find it very difficult to sit in churches and conferences, and the worship's great, and it's fantastic. But... Mm -hmm. It's just not the same, and um, so it, it can actually ruin you as well. Because you, 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 so you have to check your heart constantly. You know, you're thinking because you, it's like, where is it? Where is that thing that we had? And, I, and I've travelled a lot since from the world. I just can't get it, and it's it's kind of dangerous because you can get quite critical yourself. Then, which a lot of people after the Bible do, they tend to see, oh, that's not going to like it. So we. So trying to keep a, a, a balanced perspective on it is very, very difficult. Mm. Um, that, that's been the hardest part, is, is when, once that's happened. And, and it, it ruins you, because you get spoiled. You really, really do get spoiled. You take for granted, and, and it's just... When you come out of it, it's, it's, it's like... My leaders say to me, Rich, you know, or we believe, you know, we're going to have a greater move of God. I don't say anything, but inside I'm going, Really? Do you think so? Greater than that? Because what I experienced personally in that was for me the closest to heaven, this side of eternity, that, I, that, I, that I've ever experienced. 
And I'm sure with all the faith in me and all the faith in this room, we can say, yeah, but the best days are ahead. I understand that. I get that. Uh, it's motivational. Yeah, of course, our best days are ahead. And if we don't say it, then, you know, we're going to be miserable. But <laughs> the, the truth is, I don't know if I ever will. But I know because of what God did to us and through us, that it kind of, that, that, that flame, that fire has led us to be missional, to plant churches, to reach towns and villages and, and valleys and, and all the things that we're doing now, engaged in now, it's, it's filled the engine, if you like, for what we're doing now. So if people who say, what's the fruit then, Rich, of what God did? Well, the fruit is this. The fruit is thousands of people were healed. Many of those have, uh, were recorded by doctors and we have testimonies, not all were. The result of that, churches around Europe and different parts of the world that visited reported back to us that God is breaking out in their church in healing as a result of visiting us and being prayed for for impartation. And the story goes on. In fact, even as recent as a few weeks ago, I was recording some stuff down in uh, London for TBN Studios. I met an Indian doctor there with his wife. Came up to me, says, you don't know me. I came to an outpouring meeting. He said, I had um, lymphomia cancer. I lymphoma cancer, I don't understand all the technical things, I'm from Wales. So he had, he had this cancer and he was healed. And I, I, I only heard of it three weeks ago, but it happened last year. So the, the kind of outspill of what God did into people's lives personally, and pastors coming to me as well and saying, Rich, you don't know, my church was dead spiritually, we were going nowhere, we visited, and something happened to us and we've come back and our church is alive. And that's still going on in churches around the country. And I think for us it was a number of things. There was fruit, there was salvation, which was the number one most important thing. There was always an altar call for salvation every single night. Even though the meetings went on for about seven hours, which doesn't fit in with my 25-minute concentration levels. Um, so there, there was that. And, and there was healing. There was there's church planting. There's churches that have come alive as well. There's leaders whose ministries were saved because they were about to pack up the ministry, had enough, there was nothing happening, and they were, you know, refired by God. So there was, out of it came all that, really. Um, but from my perspective, personally, the fruit, look at the fruit and say, well, amazing, thank you, Lord. From a personal perspective, uh, it, it's ruined me. I'm like, this is great, you know. I, I'm, and I'm planting churches. I'm planting another one in the summer. We just planted one three weeks ago, and I think it's exciting, and we've seen people saved, but I still ain't satisfied. I'm like, it's all right. It's just a church plant. Anyone else is getting excited about it? I'm like, yeah, it's all right. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not minimising it, but that's I'm telling you how I feel personally, as as Richard, and that's how I feel. And I just think, so I, I'm kind of in that kind of um, personal transition myself, mm. over trying to navigate my way back to something that I experienced, and I just can't seem to find it anywhere. And that that's where I'm. That's where I am. I don't think I've ever shared that, but that's actually where that's where I am as Richard Taylor. I mean, the ministry side, we can we can talk a good talk. Oh, look, we're planting, you know, we're doing this, we're doing, aren't we amazing? Oh, it's great, yeah, fantastic. Hang on a minute, okay, let's just that's the shop window, but I, I I'm in the office, you know, in back backstage here, and I, and I and I'm like, this is just not it. Like, it's great, it's fantastic, but actually. Because what I think we're doing is, for me, church planting, for me, is the most effective form of evangelism, personally, that I've witnessed and I've studied and seen. But it's, it's second best to what revival does. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're doing the second best 
because this isn't you, so we're doing that. Because when this happens, this just happens anyway. So we're doing this just happens anyway, waiting for this to happen again. I don't know if that makes any sense. It, it does to me. I mean, I'm, I'm Welsh, it makes sense to me anyway. So that's, that's where I, I we're think, at. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I'm, I'm so grateful to you for really sharing your heart with us yeah. like that. It's really moving to hear it. It really is. Um, I also suspect that that has prompted seriously loads of questions. Hold them. I'm going to ask Mike a question, which is going to prompt loads more, and then, well, we'll see where we go. Maybe it's uh, related a li- in some ways, perhaps. Mike, last night you just tossed out in your talk about uh, the priority, um, the, the firstness of, of looking for what you called atmosphere and momentum, and then you didn't go on to take about half an hour to explain what you meant. I'm not saying you should take half an hour to explain what you mean, but can you try to just start to tell us, what do you mean when you prioritise atmosphere and momentum? What, what, what does that mean? Well, obviously, in, in a non-revival setting, I mean, you don't need to worry in a revival setting, it sorts itself out. Mm. But in, in, a, in a family of churches or in a local church, or even in your own personal ministry, I, I'm tending to think um, long-haul, and I think atmosphere and momentum are those two key ingredients that I can't tell you how you make them. You can't make them, but you can't go anywhere without them. They're, they're, they have to be there. And I think um, a lot of it is to do with relationship. So it's relationship with God first, because that creates in your own life you know, health, well-being, and you know, spiritual kind of momentum and atmosphere in your own personal life. And so I... You know, I'm looking for that, but I think in the corporate side, I'm looking for atmosphere of relationships amongst us. I'm looking for brothers and sisters together. That kind of family feel. You can't just because you all believe in Jesus doesn't mean there's atmosphere. There's something to do with hearts knitted together, lives knitted together. And once you get, once you begin to get that momentum starts to happen now I don't know which one happens first sometimes you can get momentum and relationships are formed, I I don't really know but I've just observed that where you get those intangible qualities of atmosphere and momentum just things start to happen so you can begin to see um, things that weren't possible just starting to come together so that's kind of what I meant by it it's, it was in the context of progress trying to think okay. you know, how do we make progress how do you fulfil vision I don't think you can fulfil vision without atmosphere and momentum they're, they're intangible qualities that I'm constantly looking for you can have atmosphere and momentum in a church plant of six people and you know it's going to be fruitful you can have 300 people in a building and there's no atmosphere or momentum nothing's going to happen so it, it's that it's very difficult to put your finger on um, what, what would that atmosphere, smell, taste look like? I think it's uh, brothers dwelling together in unity. I think it's a sense of being for each other, caring for, it, for each other, reality of life, uh, just normal life, but supercharged with a relationship with Jesus. It's, it, it's not actually difficult it's 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 quite simple it's not necessarily easy but it it is simple so for me it's about the quality of relationships it's the quality of just how we do life Uh, that's what I'm looking for I'm looking for authenticity vulnerability uh, interdependence um, believing the best of each other a lot of it is down to attitudes towards each other and attitudes towards God Uh, 
I'm looking for that. The strategies usually sort themselves out after that. Okay, that's great. Um, right, let's throw it open. Maybe if you've got questions that relate to what you've already heard first before we move to other topics. Would anyone like to kick us off? Yes. Yeah, Richard, correct me if I'm wrong, when you were talking this morning, you said that God, first of all, did something to you. Is that related to what Mike's talking about? Is that what he's, what happened to you? Is that any way related to what Mike is looking for with relationship? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Do you re- sorry, repeat it for me? Yes and no. On the question. I didn't really hear the question, I just got the answer. So, uh, the question was, does it relate to what Mike said earlier about atmosphere and momentum? The answer is yes and no. Um, the reason why yes and no is this, because we already had atmosphere and momentum before okay. the revival broke out in our church. So we were already a good church, doing good things, growing and seeing God do wonderful things. So we already had that. But what Mike was saying there for me, as the founding pastor, and it's kind of, we don't use the term senior leader in our church, um, so, but I'll use it for this context. As the senior leader, I am very, very careful over those two things. That for me, momentum and atmosphere, creating the atmosphere, getting that right, for faith to, to, to come alive, passion, life, all those things that I believe God is and, and love permeates all of that because that's who he is. That to me is what, as the senior guy in that context, well, I don't lead the main church anymore, that was my, I, that was what I saw as my given by God to oversee which you guard that. So I guarded my pulpit, I didn't, I guarded what went on on my platform. I, I, I was very sensitive to everything we did. And presentation, we call it presentational atmosphere, momentum, everything for me. And I'm not just on about your technical, your lights, your sound system. I'm on about, it's just more than that. It's, it's everything that comes off that platform. Is that platform offering hope to people? Is it offering future and forgiveness and all the things that God is? Or is it offering criticism, condemnation, um, you know, all the stuff that really is, is not God. And I, 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 my tension was always to, before Revival broke, is momentum came out of that atmosphere for us, is that we made sure that was guarded. Uh, and still is, still is today yeah. with my other team members. They, they, they know that. We've had one boo-boo in the four years. We've only been going four years. And we've had one mistake, and I won't tell you what the mistake was, or where it came from, but it was one mistake. We had a guest ministry come, and I wasn't there at the time. One of my guys phoned me up. I said, Rich, we've got a, a problem here. I says, right, okay. I said, and so we've allowed this. And I went, well, you didn't ask me what I thought. You did no research. And I, I just, you know what it's like when something happens. I said, look, within three weeks, most of the people won't even remember. Yes. I said, don't worry about it. But don't let it happen again. <laughs> because, you know, you've got to, you, as leaders, I think Steph was saying this morning, when he opened up his message, the importance of understanding the weight of responsibility that God gives us to influence people's lives. Never underestimate that, even in a church of 20 people, because that is, is a God-given gift that God gives us as leaders. And we have the, we have the, the influence over their lives. That is serious to me. 
And that's why I consider what we do, what you do as leaders, what comes we project to our people is very important. Very important. You wouldn't feed your children food that was bad for them. Well, neither should you feed your people stuff on your platform that's bad for them either. And I protect that with, with real passion. And that helps create some of that atmosphere. Thank you. Another question, please. At the back. Yeah, um, the church has built a lot of prophets, and I wonder whether God gave you any prophetic warning that your revival was about to come. And then how did you handle it with somebody overseeing what was going on as well? Because accountability is probably the most really important in that situation. So two questions about prophets and prophetic. Yeah. I'm so excited. Like, the warning by God, and then how did you make yourself So the question is about were we warned of the right about God, and the second part of the question was, Accountability. Yeah. Good, good questions. The first answer was everybody was everybody that moves in the prophetic claimed to have prophesied about it. And I'm not joking. I mean, we, and I'm talking major prayer initiative ministries. If I mentioned them, you would know them. Like worldwide, they, they even came to the meeting. And, 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 uh, and we had uh, the Singaporeans, the Koreans, the Americans, the, uh, the, the New Zealand, all of them came over because God had spoken to them about whales. Never heard from them before. <laughs> and I, I was so, but we, we received them all and, and we received those words and we, you know, graciously um, protecting the platform, of course, but at the same time allowing them, when I once they'd shared with me to share what God had given them about Wales, we allowed that to happen. There was particularly a group from uh, Korea who had been in Wales for eight years by this time, who had solely come over on their own expense and been based where my hometown is in Clenetley, and they'd been praying for eight years for revival in Wales. And they, they, they heard what was going on, they came to our church, and I'll never forget the pastor, Pastor Kim something or other all called Kim <laughs> it's a good guess isn't it and, and, and he, he looked at me and with tears in his eyes he says this is a fulfilment of what, what we've been praying for we can now go home to Korea that's what he told me and then he left and I haven't seen him since I don't know where he is so I mean and so there were there was a lot of prophetic stuff on the on the on the revival when the revival was happening the outpouring we we, we we believe in the prophetic and all that. Uh, your, your culture, I said to Mike, you know, you have people coming out giving words. I'm not used to that. Mm. That kind of freaks me out. So I think, what if you've got a nut job coming up with a mic? <laughs> like, so I protect stuff, you know. And so I'm learning from you guys, by the way. I see how you do that. I know you've got a filtering thing and how you do it. And I, but that kind of freaks me out. Because there's some people in my church I would never give them my <laughs> job. <laughs> so I'm kind of like... Jesus, am I allowed to do this? Then? So anyway, that's just another thing I'll put in there. So the prophetic side for, for us, a lot of the prophetic came through the preaching. So the, the, it wasn't like proclamation from one or two people, you know, a woman or a bloke coming up with a prophetic. It was, prop, it was, pro, it was prophetic through the preaching. Yeah. That's how it came, during the revival. On the accountability, uh, one of the things was I, I did a public um, uh, an announcement that went out, actually went viral, to um, people who were looking in on us. And made myself publicly accountable to John Glass, who is the general superintendent of the Olympic Pentecostal churches. I met with him once a week. I drove up to see him, Malvern, reported everything to him. He took a lot of criticisms that were coming in because we kind of pushed them all his way. And then if he felt anything needed addressing, 
he would then speak to me and ask me the questions direct. And so there was, on a private level, to do with my relationships with my family, my wife, my marriage, my finances, everything, just with John, nobody else. And so there was that accountability there and made myself accountable in that way. And, and that was really helpful. Not Accountability, not, not just to see if you're doing anything wrong, but actually because the person believes in you and what you're doing. And that was kind of a, a mutual thing. And so there was, and there has to be accountability. I've seen guys go off the rails when revival comes, you know, they think they're the next, you know, Benny Hinn. But, uh, you know, so it, it was, nothing wrong with Benny Hinn, by the way, just, it's just my, well, you might think it is, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I met him. Anyway, so it's kind of, there was a, accountability was there, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay. Anyone else? Please? Yeah. As um, we're talking about um, speaking into a broken world, how do you see the role of mentoring and fathering? which is obviously so lacking both in the world but also in the church. Mm. Mike, do you want to take that? Yeah, the uh, question is um, how do you see the role of mentoring and fathering uh, as far as you know, we're concerned given the brokenness of the world? Uh, I mean, I, I love that question because it's, you know, it's everything that makes me want to get up in the morning and do what I do. Uh, my my um, philosophy of ministry uh, has become that I am genuinely more concerned that I play a part in helping people go ahead of me than I am about what I personally achieve. I am utterly convinced of, of that. I think God's done that work in me through lots of different circumstances in life <laughs> where I've had to just take a long hard look at myself and think, is it really about me? And thought, no, actually it's not. And, and the thrill is actually about trying to help um, men and women become all that they are in God. So for me, my, my chief diary commitment is always governed by will this contribute to this person's development? That is how I assess what I do. So um, to me, it's, it's key. It, it's, if at the end of my life I can look back and see a whole load of, of uh, apostolic guys and other ministries emerge that I've had some part in mentoring, coaching, encouraging, supporting, standing with, fathering, whatever you want to call it, befriending, just being, then I'm a happy man. So uh, I think that is the number one thing leaders should be doing, uh, bringing through the next generation, because if you just build it to yourself, it, well, it hasn't got a shelf life, it'll just, it'll just die. So um, I'm even now thinking, right, who am I going to hand over to in 10, 20 years? I'm already asking that question. Who, who do I multiply it to? So I, I think it's a present question, even if, you know, I believe, hopefully, Lord willing, I've got 20, 25 years of running hard ahead of me with what God's given us. I'm already thinking, right, who, who are the people who God wants me to invest in? So for me, it's absolutely the number one thing. I love it. I'm energised by it. So even hearing Steph this morning, I'll be, yeah, great. You know, I, I love it. I just love to see uh, any men and women that I can play a part in helping. Is yeah, key. Mm. I, going back to the question about the broken world, it's because we've detached God as Father from the world. Mm-hmm. We've we've taken God out of everything. I say us. I'm talking about the world mm-hmm. in our social structures and, and things that we do. I mean, for example, some of you remember when I was in school, we prayed that prayer: "Our Father, mm-hmm. who art in heaven." You don't pray that in schools anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not PC, it's not correct. So we've detached God as Father from society to ideologies and to uh, humanistic thinking. 
and we're a God in our own eyes, which leaves us as orphans, actually, because we have no Father. There's no recognition of God who is Father. And that detachment in society has brought about often spiritual children mm. in society that we are all recognising mm. now and trying to be mothers as well, because they're important, and fathers. So when people come into our church context, they, they, the only Father God they see, and you'll understand this, and I mean in the right context, is is people like you and I who understand God as Father and, and we we should emanate that love to them and then they respond in that way. So I have people in my church who are three times older than me that see me as their spiritual father. Mm-hmm. I'm only 39 mm-hmm. and they're in their 60s and 70s. But I'm like their spiritual father because of the detachment that they've had, many understanding of God, and because I am in their eyes, their pastor, whatever you want to call it, whatever titles you have, they see me as their spiritual father. And, I, and I, kinda, I get that. And I think what I've tried to do, certainly with the young people we reach, is to get them to understand something of God as a father because they have no concept. It's been ripped out of our education, yeah. ripped out of our, all, all the things you can think of, and this acknowledgement. And I think a lot of that epidemic that we have of people in a broken world today is because they're orphans. And Jesus said, you know, I don't want you to be orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to know that you don't need to stay as orphans. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's great. Okay. Next question. Yes. Up back. Um, obviously, with the church the size that can around, and the church planting you're doing, you need lots of leaders. What have you particularly have been looking for in leaders? Because you're, you're almost like a machine, you might church planting yeah. you're doing. So, what are you looking for in men and Anybody that's stupid enough to want to do it. <laughs> that's, that's the first place I start. And if they're stupid enough then, I ask myself, can they read, can they write, and can they speak? And if they can, we'll send them. Anyway, so, um, to answer your question, we're in transition because I'm recognising, as Mike's mentioned there, about raising up next generation leaders, legacy, all that. In fact, next year I'm not doing any itinerant ministry. This is my last year, really, doing, I've done a lot of conferences this year, of itinerant ministry when I'm out speaking. Next year, I'm taking a whole year to develop, strengthen our existing church plants because they need it, um, building our, our congregation where we are, building pro, all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, raising up more leaders um, and being intentional about that as well because I pretty much what I've done is I've attracted people, not by uh, not intentionally. So I think people are attracted to vision, people are attracted to life. It's that momentum thing again and atmosphere. They get and they they, they they want to be part of it. They want to sow into it. So I'm kind of busy doing it, and it's like people have wanted to attach themselves to it and they say, okay, well, there's this. We met this person, this and that. But oh, I'll get get to know them, and relationship develops. That's key relationship. And then the big issue of trust. But the the big thing with raising up leaders and church planting is is risk. You will have to take risks. You just got to take risks. God said to me, plant a forest, not a tree. If I was going to, I wish God had said plant a tree. You could have had one church, you know, a thousand people in there. I would have been happy, I would have been, you know, come by, yay. But God said, no, a forest. And that, and that is a bit tougher. But what the Lord did say to me, when you plant a forest, some of those trees won't survive. And that means because maybe the leadership is wrong or maybe the, the, the time you planted is wrong, whatever. It doesn't matter. Keep planting. Keep planting, you yeah. keep planting, yeah. you keep planting, yeah. you keep planting, because God, remember, is the one who gives the harvest. Yeah. Plant the water, <coughs> Steph was saying this morning, God gives the harvest. But raising up leaders is a massive challenge. 
I, I was counting this morning actually on uh, some of our leaders are doing some team building things. We've got 22 pastors. Now you may think that's crazy. They're not all paid. Many of those are bivocational. But I work on this premises. You can never have enough leaders. Not for what you want to do. If your vision is that big, you're going to need leaders that big. You, 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 and I find sometimes that we have this concept that leaders within the Christian church have to be paid. I don't know where that's come from. I am paid by my church. I do what I do. And I'm not saying you should, people shouldn't be paid for what they do. But my, my point is this. We have this fixation that people in ministry have to be paid by the church to do what they're doing. You can be a plumber, an electrician, a bricklayer, and you can be in leadership in your church, serving the kingdom of God in your church. I did it for the first year, the first church I ever pioneered, first church, I worked for Metro Rod cleaning drains. I was a van driver. While I was pioneering my, the, I was in Assemblies of God then, the, the, the church I was in in the Midlands, and I worked a full-time job, cleaning drains, foul and storm, and I was church planting, pioneering. And the church grew to 200. And, that's with, and, that, and that happened in 12 months without being paid. So, you know, I don't know why I'm saying that, but um, it was to do with the question. I don't know what the question was. <laughs> Something to do with leaders. But the aspect of leaders, I don't think there is a model that we can pick off a shelf or out of a book that works. I think you've got to find what works for you, where you are with the people that you're working with. Because if there was, I would have written a book by, on it now and made a bestseller and made a lot of money from it. But I, I just don't think there is. You've got to find what works for where you are. Mm-hmm. And what we do won't work where you are. Mm-hmm. Because we're, we're different. Mm-hmm. So I hope that answers some of the questions. That's great, thank you. Yes. So, kind of picking up on your, your point about, about leadership, the question was mainly for Mike, really, about how do you think that um, leaders in the secular world can most helpfully engage with employed church leaders was, was where I was coming from. But sometimes you, you see that, that people who have leading roles in corporations and in government and health service, and actually it's not immediately obvious how they can engage and use those uh, that experience to, to strengthen the church. And I, I just wonder what you'd say about that. Uh, the question is how do you use people perhaps with particularly significant leadership roles in, in the marketplace? How do they engage with local church leadership in a helpful way? Is that kind of yeah. Well I, I can give an example of that just in yeah, just even from this last Sunday. Um, I was down in Canterbury um, and uh, just had time with the elders after the, the Sunday uh, meeting and then uh, Tim who's sitting on the front row here, his wife Claire is um, a very, very highly qualified consultant to global companies yeah, on culture change. I said, Claire, can I have just half an hour, an hour of your time? A relational mission, developing, I'm trying to look at how we kind of shape culture, how do we intentionally you know, build what we're trying to build, can you help me? I tell you what, I didn't even have to pay her. I didn't realize what it would cost yeah. me. What it would have cost me if I had to pay her. But, you know, I got half an hour to an hour of priceless, leadership, top draw leadership, culture changing stuff that really has helped me. Now, she's doing that Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, with, you know, big companies, multi global companies of multi million pounds. You know, I got it for free. Great. So, for me, I'm, I would be being stupid if I didn't look around for people like that in our ranks and say, help me, 
there's loads of other people who've got key skills, business men and women, uh, people with uh, abilities in, in helping team dynamics, uh, people with good abilities with finance and structuring and even the way we've structured ourselves in relational mission. Most of the people handling the, the governance and the finance are, um, Rob at the back there was an economist with Shell. Um, we've got, you know, uh, people, yeah, I've got people who really do know what they're doing. So I'm kind of thinking, I want the best. Um, because and most people who've got those kind of skills are more than willing to apply them into building the kingdom of God because they know that that's actually more important than anything else. So I'm trying to just find ways of connecting. I sniff out um, uh, talent in, in our ranks, and whenever I find it, I think, right, I'm, I'll, I'll call your name. I'm going to see if I can get the best out of you. So I, I, I think that church leaders make a big mistake if they just think, oh, well, the, the people doing the secular stuff, they, they either haven't got time or they're involved in something else. No, bring them in. Um, the other thing I would say about people, particularly with very senior jobs, who may not have time to come to one of your cell groups or be involved perhaps very much at all in church programs because they're flying all around the world, befriend them because they're often lonely, they're often people with, often with big amounts of money, people are only friends with them because of their money and they, they need leaders to befriend them because of who they are uh, and I, I like to try and work with, sometimes they're difficult, sometimes they can be difficult characters because they're, you know, they know what they want and they, they, they've got where they are by having a certain, you know, robustness to them. I quite like people like that, I like just being a friend to them and just going out for lunch and Getting the best out of them, so I don't know if that helps a bit. But you got any thoughts on? Uh, can I just go back yeah. to the question here? Um, can you think of any uh, examples of the sort of difficulties that maybe you've witnessed? Or maybe not. Not uh, right. Names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that would be difficult to bring out in, in this in this forum. But um, just kind of pushing into it a little bit. If we see the so, I, I really liked your your two concentric circles, the church um, fueling and spawning and uh, being ahead to what's going on in the rest of the kingdom, which is a much bigger activity. Mm. But if the church is to succeed in, uh, in fueling the growth of the kingdom, then the church needs to listen to what's going on outside so that you yep. can shape the, the, the program and the, the mission of the church so that it's actually feeding those people who are actually kind yeah. of out on the front line. Yeah. Um, you know, five days a week yeah. and so I, I, I'd love to see that happen more but I, but I don't think it's a very easy thing to right. to do because we kind of we, we very naturally fall into a into a, a secular spiritual divide that's yeah. very pervasive um, <coughs> which I think is very sad yeah. I think that's part of actually the prophetic thing that is coming through even a little bit in the conference already mm of we are heading into a place where there's no map. So I think the way we do church, the way we contextualise, the way we work in those, I think it's going to be different from perhaps how it has been in a good way. But we're exploring. I, I, I'm a lifelong learner. I believe in lifelong learning. I, I don't think well, the way I'm doing it is the way it's always... I, I want to learn. Every day of my life I want to learn. So I want to listen to things like that and say, that's a good point. Right, help me, Lord. Help me Help me be on the front foot with this just to make the adjustments necessary to the wineskin so that it doesn't tear. You know. So I agree with where you're coming from very much. I think the New Testament <coughs> helps me to understand it because... Um, 
Paul, an apostle called by Jesus Christ. Yet he had a secular job, we know that. I, I, I find that um, the challenge we have is not everyone in the kingdom is going to be a leader. I've heard it said, we're all leaders. No, we're not. We're all leaders. Who's following? <coughs> nonsense. We're not all leaders at all. God calls, appoints, and anoints certain men, certain women for tasks, for fields, for areas to lead. But in the context of that, the wider aspect, the wider team is people who've got experiences that might not be anointed by God to do that particular task but to be part of a team they're equally anointed because they're part of the team that's how I interpret that that's, that's me though in my context where I am so we would be very um, we recognise not just apostolic ministry because I think I've talked to Mike this you guys apostolic is team we, well we do have team but there's only one apostle but there are many apostles I know you might not float your boat this theology but this is it's theocratic ministry, so the apostle hears from God, we're doing this, and the team is doing it. Whereas I think my, you guys might be the other way around, I don't know. Uh, we tend to be team with a leader rather than leader with a team. That's what you said. T- tend to be, yeah. So we, ours would be more percentage the other way a little bit. Neither is right or wrong, but that's just where we are. Maybe we need to change, I don't know, but that's where we are. It's worked up until now, so we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> so, and it is working. We're probably going to come up short somewhere soon, but anyway, or get into trouble, or I'll end up back in jail. One of the two, anyway. Um, so, um, but, but I think my understanding is, is this, that in my congregation, most of the people in our congregation, not most, uh, many of the ones in our congregation who uh, in the world are very successful, they're already serving within my church. They're on boards, they're on the finance committee, uh, they're part of the pastorate. Some of them are pastors. In fact, one of our church planters is a director of a, a very successful company that uh, p- produces GPS for farmers and all that kind of stuff. Very successful company. He is pioneering our church plant in the town called Blind Avenue. Yeah, yeah. He's doing it. Mm. You know, so, uh, and he's recognised as a pastor, as a church planter. And that, that, that's, so I think, like Mike would say, we, we would look for people. And we would say, look, yeah. But then the other side is this. Paul was called by God, Moses was called by God, all called by God, but then you had people that Jesus chose that were unlearned men, some of them, that were unskilled, unlearned, and can these men do anything? Yet when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they turned the world upside down. So I just think it's a bit of everything. You know, yeah, the super qualified and the completely unqualified. And I think bringing them both together... And then developing that for me is what my church. I, I'd like it to see. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. You alluded earlier to some experiences during the outpouring that uh, that have kind of spoiled you for this world, so to speak. Would you be willing to share some of those experiences that you encountered personally? Uh, the question is, would I? Um, be willing to share some of the experiences of the things that spot me uh, during the revival. Um, I think um, uh, I think I find that difficult at the moment. If, uh, if, you, if that's all right. Because, um, just to, because it's difficult to give detail. What, 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 
just give you one thing for me was just intimacy with Jesus um, and, uh, and no one else was in that there was nothing just me and him close up and uh, yeah uh, there's other things but that's, that's that's all I can share do you, do you think from um, from what you've experienced that you've got any insights into what brings revival to birth or even what brings the season revival to a close or have you just got questions but no answers more questions than answers mm. Um, but I, I do there were some things that me and Andy discussed and Andy's my best friend as well so we kind of journey this together um, hunger and humility were two massive ingredients in the revival I mean without there was so many things I could say and you know I, I've read books and revival and I could give you three points in a poem but that's not what this is about it, it was hunger and humility to see people just hungry for Jesus I, I, just like abandoning themselves just totally I mean I watched people in my church who were one guy in particular was a headmaster in a school and he's very respectful and, and uh, I mean he barely clapped in church you know he'd just stand there like ah and he never even sang the songs I thought the guy had issues <laughs> but that's the way he was he was really introvert and and you're an extrovert as a leader you don't like introvert people they wind you up <laughs> and, and, and he just stood there but when the revival broke out I watched the guy literally dance in church like I'd never like he'd lost all sense of orientation like he had, and, he, and he was dancing camp as well <laughs> and if you knew him he is like a school teacher very, he's a head of school and and he was like, and I just, I remember looking at once, one, one of the nights, uh, uh, Nigel, his name is, I remember looking up thinking, what is going on with him? Because, you know, I'd never, and it was just this real hunger for God and a sense of, I don't care what people think about me, because right now it's just me and Jesus, and I don't care what you think about me. And, and that came with the humility as well. Um, the humility aspect, people say, oh, I have loads of people in revival. Be careful, brother, you're private. Let me tell you, when you're in revival, you will not be battling with pride. That is never... You won't. I, I, we, we, it wasn't... Pride was never an issue for us. It never... Everyone thought it was. Oh, you know, get carried away. And I used to say, okay, thank you, thank you. It was never an issue, Anne, was it? It was never, ever an issue because we recognised this was not us. We knew it was not us. So we, at any point, could never even entertain the thought of taking any credit for what the Lord was doing because we knew as soon as we did that that closeness gone so that brought about a humility and the hunger and humility were massive ingredients in the life mm-hmm. um, what caused the hunger and humility to begin uh, how long have we got I mean that's, it goes back to it goes right back to I don't know when um a big part of it was uh, I'll just, uh, just tell as it is um, I normally do anyway I had issues with certain ministries and groups and, and styles um, of ministry so word of faith guys, prosperity guys, you Driscollites 
you, you know, um, all these different groups, your pipers and McCart all these different groups and all that. And I was vocal about it. You know, so I thought, well, I'd like to say something. I mean, I had stuff on YouTube. I had stuff that went viral, some of it. I, I got banned off God TV for saying stuff about Todd Bentley. Um, I was outspoken. I wrote blogs criticising stuff. I mean, the whole thing was, this is what Richard stands against. And that was how my early ministry was all about. It wasn't about what I stood for. It was what I stood against. And I became known for it within the circles that I moved in. And I didn't realise how full of arrogance and pride I was in thinking that I got it right and all these people got it wrong. And we had a guy come to our church called Tommy Tenney, some of you may have heard of him, God Chasers. He came to our church, preached, not a great sermon, if you're listening to Tommy, he wasn't that great. <laughs> it was a good message, but he was carrying something and I, and I was agitated by it. He, he, there was something about him that agitated me. I, I couldn't put my finger on This is before the revival. Not, not many weeks before, though. Mm. I was due to fly to, to the States. I was in California, suffering for Jesus. And, um, <laughs> and I, the, the Sunday before I flew out, Tommy was preaching in a church in London, in a black Pentecostal church with Bishop Sapong. And uh, in London, east side of London, and... I was staying in the hotel next to him and we didn't know. He tweeted, I'm preaching tonight in a church. And I tweeted back, I said, oh, mate, listen, I'm in London. I'll come and you preach. Rather than sit in a hotel room watching rubbish on a Sunday night at the X Factor, I thought I'd come and listen to you preach instead. I wish I'd stayed and listened to the X Factor. <laughs> no, that's a joke. So I, I tweeted him back and he says, well, where are you? So I told him the hotel. He says, I'm next door to you. I went, are you really? He said, yes, yeah, so we'll go together. So we went to this, this meeting and it was, um, it was a li lively meeting, you know, uh, African Pentecostal meeting. It was brilliant. It was all going. And I thought, this is great. I was loving it, thinking, yeah, get handkerchief up, woo, and all that. I love that. I love that. So, and then Tommy said, uh, I want Richard to get up to share his testimony. And I thought, oh, what is that? They don't even know who I am. They probably won't even understand me. So I got to share my testimony. Started going into his come preach more. Started preaching, and, and, and they were shouting back, "Come on, preach it, bro. Amen." And, and I'm thinking, "All right, okay." And then, <laughs> then encouraging me to keep going, yeah. And the last few days of preachers encouragement to keep going. I mean, no, most of you need to get to shut up. You know what I mean? So, so I'm off on one, and I'm trying to hand the mic back to Tommy, and he's like, "No, no, no, keep going, keep going." He's like, "Yes, I'm fine." So I preach, I give an altar call, people come out, respond to the gospel, to receive Jesus. People have prayed for, people testimony being healed. This is all at the end of the meeting. It's just gone mental. It's just people laying everywhere. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on here. And, and, and at the end of that meeting, I, I took Tommy back to the hotel, sat outside the hotel for four hours till about half past two, three in the morning. And as I'm sat there, I started venting all my things I've just mentioned there. And I don't like this, don't agree with this, these people, that people, this ministry, those guys, this, that and the other. He went, stop. He says, you have got serious issues. You were going nowhere in God until you sort that out. I'm like, what? So I, I've got to, I'm doing all right? He says, no, you are not. And, and no one ever spoke to me like that. Normally I'd punch them or headbutt them. So, because I, I don't have a background. I got saved from all that. So, you know, sometimes you kind of slip sanctifications in a shoe. But anyway, so it, he, he spoke to me like that. And, I, and, I, and then he said, let me explain to you, Rich. He says, the church is like one big, now this is the most untheological weakest illustration I've ever heard in my life but I want to tell you this illustration changed my life literally he said the church is like one big pot of stew 
Any deeper coming from above? Any revelation here? Yeah? No, it's like stew. I say, what do you mean? Yeah, it's got loads of different veg in there. It's got you know, it's got pepper in there. It's got mm-hmm. salt. It's got Tabasco sauce or something like it hot and. And it's got all these flavours, he says, all mixed in. I say, he says, it looks like a pot of mess. He says, but to God, it tastes beautiful. And, I, and that was it. And that's all I got. I went back to my room in the hotel. And he was flying out to meet me in, in the States uh, two weeks after being over there. And in my hotel room, the Lord spoke to me and said to me, you have got sin in your heart against my body. You've got prejudice in your heart against my body. The church is my bride. And I will not tolerate domestic violence. I got on my knees. I repented there and then. I forgave. I, 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 at the time of repentance, I wept and all that kind of stuff. Next thing I know, I get a message. Now, you have to understand. Let me, me try to give this to you reality because of time. I literally had a hidden hatred in my heart towards prosperity preachers. Like some of you still do. Because I didn't believe they were, they were saved, some of them. You know, but I had that in you. I don't anymore. I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you, and then the rival broke up. But anyway, so I had these issues against word of faith guys, all these guys in their own jet airplanes. And all. I thought, what, what, what are they doing? They're not the gospel, people staffing in. I know, I know, I was there. I used to, I, I've said it. And the very channel that promotes this, as you will know, is called Trinity Broadcasting Network, run by the late Paul Crouch. I'm on my way to America, I get a message come through inviting me to go and speak on the program. Straight after I've repented from those things in my heart. Now, before I'd repented of those things, the answer would have been straight no. I don't need the publicity. I, 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 I do secular TV, I can get publicity from the, from the world. So I, I don't, don't need it. No, but because of what God did, I thought the Holy Spirit said to me, you do it. You do it. Uh, Andy had flown over, we turn up, we go to this, in- I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, forget, I mean, forget Buckingham Palace. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I know if you, you know, in Santa Ana, California, it is off the charts. Anyway, and I'm from Wales. I mean, I'm used to like, we're still on horseback down there, do you know what I mean? And we turn up and we go into what's called a green room and it's a gold room. I mean, it, I mean, it is ornate. And there's little on me <laughs> thinking, what on earth am I doing here? And I thought, no, I must know. I get met by a guy, I meet a couple of people, Tommy Barnett and a few others who were on, guys were preaching at it and they were there and I was the last guest on the show. And the guy comes up, the, the host is called, the host is my friend now, called Phil Munsey. Phil Munsey is the brother of one of the biggest prosperity faith, word of faith preachers in the world, Steve Munsey. He can turn that chair into making you give an offering. I mean, you know what they're like? <laughs> Praise God, if you give, the Lord will lay this on your hat. 70 times 7, give $700. I mean, it, it's full on, right? Which I, and I, by the way, I don't subscribe to that uh, theology, just, like, just to, so you know. And so I, I, so I meet his brother, and he's interviewing me on the show, and I'm thinking, oh dear Jesus, this can't get any worse. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, got, I've got issues with these people, and I'm on the show. And I'm sitting on, 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 on set, it goes live, the studio thing. And I started to share my testimony. I went into, started preaching. I got up off the chair, started preaching. The, the studio went crazy. Like, the, 
They do in America anyway, don't they? They were getting up, pray, shouting, screaming, running around, one guy shaking, dancing across, and I'm thinking, oh, what's going on here? This is nuts. They keep preaching, Richard, Jesus said, and I'm preaching. And it just went crazy in there. And absolutely, it was like a mini revival in the studio. Even after the cameras had finished, they'd cut, because they were doing it, the live feed, it just carried on. And all of a sudden, the, the host of the show turned on and he says, that's it, you've done it now, you've done it now. I said, what, what have I done? He says, that's it. He says, that's gone out. He says, do you, you know what you've done now? I says, no. He says, all around all these big ministries, he says, you watch. Well, within, within an hour of that show, my inbox or my email, my secretary, I kid you not, from ministries all across America that I hated. <laughs> were now inviting me to preach at their churches. Now, I didn't take the appointments. I didn't because at that, at that particular time. Then... Of all the prosperity word of faith, guys, and I'll tell you, a super long tip if you want, of all the people that connected with us, Joel Osteen got in touch. Now you have to understand, our worlds, we're trying to plant a church in Wales. <laughs> this ain't Joel Osteen territory. Then all of a sudden, it's, we want to arrange a meeting with you, we want to fly you in to do all this. I, I'm with these guys, and Andy's with me, we've all got private jets, and I, these are guys that I've literally preached against. The interest in this, this is all before I get back and we were revival. Because God, see, the issue really wasn't about them. The issue was me. The issue was never, is never them. It was always me. Whether they were doing right or wrong before God, I ain't God. That's between them and God. And that's for God to sort out, not for us to sort out. We think it's our job to police the body of Christ and tell people what they should be into and what they shouldn't be into. Let's just concentrate on what we've been called to do. And God got me to understand that I'm here and I'm running in my own lane. Keep out of other people's lanes. They're none of your business. God said to me. And I can tell you this, and Andy will testify because he has travelled with me, been with me when I've done this. I have been involved, not, not involved in the sense of with them. I have sat with, been involved with some of these guys, not just word of faith, I'm not about other guys as well, that, I, that were not that ilk that I would never have nothing to do with, and God's allowed me, not just to minister into their context, but to develop relationships with them that I would never have had, and allow me to speak into their lives. And I think God, and some of you don't even, I wouldn't even take name drop you, and I've done enough of that, you wouldn't even know, but I know, God knows, Andy, Andy, Andy knows, and, and it's as if God has said, right, okay, now I can trust you now, and then I came back, on the Wednesday I came back, we flew back on the Tuesday, Tuesday or the Monday? The Tuesday, Monday, got back on the Monday, the meeting was on the Wednesday, and that's when the revival broke out. Interesting that. Now people don't really hear that, oh you can't connect it with it, well I'm telling you now, I connect it to the fact that God changed my heart towards certain ministries within the body of Christ that I'd called the Whore of Babylon, that I'd said were of the devil, I've said were satanic, I've said it myself in my own mouth. And I retracted, I renounced, I repented more, that took it back, I ripped off different things online that were on there, and, and I, I repented before God. That happened, all of a sudden, these people, now I'm in California in July for a whole month preaching in some of the biggest churches in Orange County around there with people that I would never have anything to do with. Nothing at all. And God has just done that. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? I'm a regular on TBN in California. They have me over there. It's a nice pitch to have that, isn't it, California? It's all right, isn't it? 
But I mean, I mean, not being funny. Everybody fancy going to California for a week just to do a recording in the studio for one hour and you get the rest of the week for free? Hello? <laughs> All paid for? Hello? And I thought it's so miserable, you know, I can tell. But anyway, but, but I'm not just not, but God did something. And then I came back and re- revival broke out. Now, I don't need that because I'm financially secure. I don't know because I do secular television. So I don't need all these being with these guys because I'm already, I'm all right, I'm sound, you know what I'm saying? But it was as if God was saying, you had issues in your heart. Not just with those groups of people, but ministries, streams, whether it's Plumbline, NFI, AOG, Elim, all the different Pentecostal cars, oh, they all got different things about them, even in this country. Stop complaining about them. Stop. You've got to get your eyes off the bird and your eyes on the fruit. Get off, off the birds. The birds of the air are always there. Get them on the fruit. See what God is doing. And in all those ministries, you mark my words, God is working in them. God is doing something. We don't agree with all of them, but God is at work. There's a grace that is given to them, whether we like it or not, and we should not, we should stop and say, you might have doctrinal issues, but if your doctrine, if your doctrine leads you not to love people, and your doctrine is what you love more than people, you need to question your doctrine, because God is love. Mm-hmm. First premise is doctrine. Yes. And I always say to my folks, I say, never allow your doctrine to get in the way from loving people, because if it does, you need to change your doctrine, because it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so my heart changed. So I take so long. You know? No, no, it's good. No, it's good. And God just broke into my life, and as a result of that now, I mean, you know, we were preaching at a charismatic Catholic conference two weeks ago. I'd never been seen dead with Catholics before. I think it's, I thought, the Pope's the Antichrist, didn't he? You know, that's what I was taught. And I, obviously, you weren't taught that, but I was. And, and, and so for me, my heart had to completely be taken apart and realised. And I, I, another thing is, well, I have to say this as well. We... The, the, the church, the evangelical world, was so hooked on smashing homosexual, uh, homosexuality. It became a big thing for us. Like it was the only thing that really mattered to the end time church. I mean, grow up. And God changed my heart. Because you know what I did for my pulpit so often before this stuff? I'd make comments, I'd say things, and really they were... They, there was stuff in my heart because I didn't agree with that or homosexuality or all these other things. I was always the one that was picked out. And God said, enough, stop. He said, who are you to talk about these people? We always talk about the Catholic rights and those people. And God said, stop, they're my people. I died for all of them. Not just for the ones in the church. In fact, the ones in the church get on my picking nerves. It's the ones outside the church that I came for. And I began to realize something. God, God gave me something. And some of my leaders left my church because I said to them, I said, some of you, I said, you don't realize God loves people outside of this church just as much as he loves you. Just because you've repented and you know him, but I'm telling you now. And I place so much emphasis on sinners in our church during the revival. And he will tell you, it offended Christian leaders that we would love the sinner more than them. And that became a problem. And I saw that. And I, I know that grieved the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit touched more non-Christians and sinners in those meetings than he did Christians. He always did. And I used to think to myself, and I realised actually God is out for the people who are lost. He's not, he's, not, he's not in this for us. Hello, God. So, I, I know he is, his theology, you know, the church. And all that. Oh, yeah, shut up. It's, not, it's for people out there. It's for people who aren't in the church. That's who he's after. And so there was a big, big paradigm shift in, in my heart my thinking and a lot of it came down to one thing came down to love 
to, to love all aspects of the body of Christ. All people, all things. It's just one big pot of stew and it looks like a mess. But to God, it's beautiful. And, and that's that's long story, um, not full story, but that's a big part of it. That's what happened. And then we came back and then the revival broke out. But it all begins with this needed changing. I don't know in this room, you're all different leaders of different elks, you all have your own ministries, your church, whether it's worship ministry or whether it's, you know, you're in, you're whatever. Stop looking at other streams and groups and what they're doing, how they're doing it, and they come up with the latest thing, and, you know, this new ministry now is the up-and-coming thing, let's buy his book and get him to a conference. And I, I can see it, but forgive me, Mike, but it's just a mess, guys, and just leave, leave it. Don't don't get into that do not get into that that is a bad place to be as a leader we got enough going on right sorting our own lives out we got enough going on walking with Jesus ourselves to be worrying about everybody else's walk with Jesus we got enough going on with what God's given us I just keep it real love God love people and love them into the kingdom at the same time just keep it simple we have complicated the church we have institutionalized the Holy Spirit. We've put him into this kind of machine and said, right, you know, you put people in here and they come out like that. It doesn't work like that. And I think somehow we, we've got to, somehow we, I have to, we can't repent and say, God, okay, let me just be someone who loves you and loves people. And that is it. And that is the gospel and ministry of reconciliation to the world that Steph was talking about this morning. Mm. So I brought that in at the end. <laughs> just to cover my back a little bit. So. Excellent. Okay. But so, can I just say, I need to say, so, sorry, I, I will do this a lot. If, if I've said something and I've offended you, I, with all my heart, did not mean to do that. But I would, I, I would feel false if I did not share with you my heart as well and I'm not asking you to agree with everything I've said but I, 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 I urge you to listen to what I've said and to ask yourself some of those questions as well and some of you might be further on down the road than me and you might have gone through and you're okay now and there'll be some other stuff here but that was for us yeah. a big part of it okay. guys we've still got a few more minutes any, Sorry, any more questions yes um, I fully understand what you were talking about, uh, having no, no issues with other streams. Um, but uh, my question would be how, on the other side, uh, can you handle then the responsibility as a leader to, in some terms, um, doctrinally safeguard your people from being absorbed from everything that's going on in the market? I let, I let God do that. God's big enough. I preach the gospel. I mean, I know it's a clear answer. I mean, I'm, I'm not responding in a kind of, you know, uh, this is me, okay? The Holy Spirit is the best sanctifier, the best pastor, the best discipler that I know. He's, he's much better than me, and actually, he can get around more people than me, actually, as well. <laughs> and and, and, I, and I, I get what you're saying, and we can quote scripture. You know, take care of the flock of God, which he purchased on blood. And we could go on all that in the eldership. I get all that. I get I get it. And yes, yes, yes. Against heresy, false doctrine. We have to think. But when that becomes the main thing, we've got issues here. We, we've really got issues in the body of Christ. Because I have seen people destroy people over this, this, this addiction to heresy. And it's like that becomes their ministry. I am here to make sure there's no heresy in the church. And most of them don't even go to a blooming church. 
you know, I'm not talking about us here, because we're all in church work, you know what I'm saying? But I, I find that they have these assumed positions of, you know, authority. Actually, they, they've got no authority at all. It's trying to speak into the body of Christ. Now, as a pastor, there are people in front of me. I know my people, right? And some of you have got hundreds and hundreds of people in front of me every week. They don't all agree with everything you say. I know you might think they do, but I'm telling you, they don't. <laughs> they might think some of the things you say are heresy, but you know what? They still love you. See, and, that's the, and, and, and this for me is this is how I see it as well but those people are people they will be at home they'll watch Christian TV they listen to Christian ministry that differ from your church your style your preaching you can't tell them what to listen to and what they'll make up their own minds some of them will love T.D. Jakes and they'll wish you could preach like him you and I both know you ain't ever going to preach like T.D. Jakes neither am I but we've got, to be, we've got to be faithful to what God has called us to be to our people. I'm richer to my people, to my, that God's called me to lead. I've just got to be richer to them, love them, pastor them, pray for them, care for them, hold their hand when they're dying. I just buried a 24-year-old girl last week. She died giving birth to her firstborn. She, listen, her family don't care about my preaching. They're not interested. What they want to know is, am I there for them? Like the fear my wife had to have the baby while I did the whole thing and, and that, you know, turning the support life support machine off with the family around there. You know, I don't care how big your Christian ministry is, but that family, they, need me, they needed me there, whether I had a title or not. And so they would listen to my messages, my sermons, my ministry, whatever you want to call it, because they know that this particular ministry is not going to be there for them when their daughter or their, their wife is dying. But I was there, and you, you'll be there. And that's what matters to people. It, it's not how big our kudos is and all that. No. It's, it's will you be there for me when I need you? And they don't care what car you pull up in either. If you were a pastor and you pulled up in a Ferrari, they don't care as long as you're in the hospice holding Grandma Lily's hand when she goes to be with the Lord dying of cancer, will you be there? They're not going to criticise what car you pull up in. But see, other people always look at that. Oh, what car's drive? He's got this, he's got... I, I've had this against me. And I think, because they, they miss it, they miss, they miss it. It's, it's love. It is always love. Because love will always conquer. It will always win. And when people miss that part, and we look at... I understand what you're saying, protecting the people. They say, uh, I, I'm slightly different. I see things differently. I don't think I need to. I leave that to God. I say, God, that's your business. I'll preach the word. People who want to hear what I've got to say will come. Those who don't agree with me, they, I, I say from my pulpit, and they tell I say, if you don't like what I'm saying, go to another church. I actually say that from the pulpit. I actually say, actually, if you go to another church, it'll help us because we need more seats. <laughs> I, I, I say it. Some people can't cope with that because I'm too full for it. They think it's, you know, it's not. It's just the way I am. I think I haven't got time to argue with Christians about doctrines. There's too many people going to a Christless eternity for me to be worried about whether the Antichrist has got seven horns or four. I don't give a stuff. <laughs> I'm talking like, and I, honestly, I know some of you are into it. Oh, end times, you know, that's real. And that's great. Listen, I've never been there. I'll go there one day, I'm sure. But right now... I've got people in Comtush in Wales that need Jesus. Now, you couldn't say Comtush, I know, but these are... And I said, I'm going to go off for one, so I'll start preaching. So. Mike, do you want to make any comments on that at all? Well, I, I think that 
The other thing is that I, I've particularly learned from watching Terry over the years, and, and I've tried to, you know, learn and emulate in some small way, is that God, has, God gives grace gifts to different ministries, and, and um, they're, they're all different, as we should say. And I think when you, where you see a grace gift on someone, uh, Terry was always very good at bringing that person in amongst us, giving, giving great honour to the grace gift that that person had. But where there are things that perhaps you think, well, not, it's not quite our flavour... Rather than dismissing it or speaking against it or whatever, just don't focus on it because that's not that's just an area where you think, well, I don't really know what I think about that, or even if I do know what I think about that, I don't need to. That's not the point. You just honour the grace of God on the individual. And I, I, I think I, I want, I would like us as a family to let that be part of our DNA that we honour the body of Christ wherever we see the grace of God working. And if there are things where you think, well, not too sure about that, then you can still honour the person, love the person. But you know, you might. We've all got to. Um, we've all got to, with a clear conscience, handle the will of God. But that doesn't mean that we then dismiss someone else's conscience. You know, it, it's about just walking with, I think, grace uh, towards people, honouring them, uh, and receiving. You know, people, everyone's got things that we need to. It's lifelong learning, isn't it? Just think that. So. I, I, I totally agree with Richard. I, I, I mean, very, very occasionally, if there are things that start to dig in and spread, I think there can come times when, I mean, even Paul in his letters, when things really got serious, he would lovingly write something as a... But it was always done in a way to, to, to focus on the issue rather than the people. So I, I think there's, there's a way to father people that doesn't that doesn't dishonor uh, so I think, and I think that is a key thing for us we've got to learn how to do that and yeah there's things that I've got to le- I want to learn from other people who I've had you know views on and part I want to learn I want to sort of be open to that um, whilst retaining our own you know grace that God's given us that's good okay our, our time is up so I, I'd like us to just uh, pray together for just a moment if that's okay Father, we thank you for the worldwide body of Christ, which we are part of. Thank you for the many local churches here with all their colourful diversity. And Lord, we thank you for brothers and sisters in our cities, towns and villages that we fellowship with on a week-by-week basis, that we serve together with in food banks and all kinds of different things. And Lord, we just kind of heard a, a fresh challenge this afternoon to honour what you're doing right across your people and not to hold ourselves apart and uh, look down on others thinking we're something when really we're not. So Lord we pray for a rich blessing on the church in, in our land, in the land that we come from, in the community where we're serving. Lord bless the people of God And Lord, as we take the word out to the lost that are all around us, Lord, let us do it together. Let there be rejoicing as we bring in the harvest together. Let there be a uh, a boat joining together, arms joined together, arm in arm, as we bring in the harvest for the glory of the King. Amen. 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 Shall we just uh, give thanks to our brothers?